for me, my self-work has always been uh, a lot of self-esteem issues when I was younger. Um, I've always been physically, um, uh, always very physical. Um, and, and I played many different sports. And, you know, I, most sports that I did, I could excel. I could actually do quite well. Um, but any sport that really had to do with competing with someone else, I would actually have a hard time with winning, especially if I noticed the other person was suffering by losing. That's Dice E. Decline, and this is the Yoga Life Podcast. Hello and welcome back. I'm a day late with this podcast, uh, with good reason. I spent the last 10 days at my 300-hour teacher training with Bryce, uh, Brownie and Dice, and I had the pleasure of speaking with both of them on my podcast. Today's episode is with Dice. It's, um, yeah, what can I say about this guy? Um, I mean, if you're in the yoga world, um, I'm sure you're familiar with his work. And if you're not, get to it because he's fantastic. Um, we did the podcast in my car, which is um, a, f- a first um, and a good experience. And yesterday, I try and uh, upload the podcast every Thursday. But yesterday, Dice kindly invited me to go climbing. So um, instead of uploading the podcast with Dice, me and him went climbing instead, which was a, a great experience. And um, every part of my body hurts now. <laughs> yeah, um, he's an, imp- an impressive climber. So um, I really hope you enjoyed this this episode. What I love about this is Dice. Um, we kind of we went straight in the deep end from the get go. Um, he talked about his background, not too much about business, but more so about him as a person. And um, yeah, he's just a, a great guy, a great human being. I hope you enjoy this. If you do, as always, five stars would be much appreciated on either iTunes or Stitcher. And um, if you have any comments, questions about the podcast, um, feel free to get in touch and I'll, I'll definitely get back to you. All right, enjoy. Um, how's it going, Dice? I'm doing well, man. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. I mean, what, what do you think of the studio? I really love your studio. <laughs> it's, it's great. It's seriously, I mean, I'm actually being serious. I'm laughing, but I think this is awesome. <laughs> Even brought the pillow for me to lean up against the window. It's so good. Because <sighs> uh, yesterday, uh, with, with Brian, we had to hold the mic, and I could tell oh, our okay. arms were getting fatigued. We had to switch arms. And, yes. Especially with all those arm balances you guys yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Um, so to give people some context... I'm more than halfway through my 300 hour. Yes, sir. Yeah, and um, this is the second module. Um, this is the only one you, you're doing in Europe, is it? Uh, this year, yeah. This is the the only 300 hour we'll do this year in Europe. Um, next year, actually, we're doing one in Paris, um, more towards end of July into August, um, right. with a good friend of ours, Mathieu Boulderon. Oh, he's the chap that you do it with in, in Thailand as well. In Thailand as well, yeah. yeah. I mean, quick story, Mathieu... Um, was in our first 200-hour training back in 2013 in Thailand. And then he did our first 300-hour in Thailand back in 2016. And alone, he has done five 200-hours, and I think he's done three or four 300-hours. So so he He doesn't even care about the hours. That wasn't the point (laughs) for him. For him, it's quite inspirational and, and beautiful to see someone who just wanted to learn from all the different schools and modalities and different 
people in yoga specifically how they led their trainings so that mm. he could then lead his own and and he kind of um his trainings are all inspired by everyone you can tell he's he's true it's true definition of a student who is also a teacher mm. so he's he's awesome he's a great partner when did you do your first teacher training as in when did you teach your first teacher training i uh, taught the first teacher training was um june of 2013 basically a month and a half after sydney was born uh we mm. did our first 200 hour in thailand got some Muay thailand and uh yeah I, I i wouldn't be doing trainings if bry hadn't uh in a way forced me into it. <laughs> Why is that? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I have a lot of self-work to do there, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I still do, but I've, uh, I, my idea always was there's so many phenomenal teachers out there and senior teachers that are doing teacher trainings. How could our teacher training have any place or value in the yoga world, especially if there are these trainings that have been going on for so long so i always wrestled with that and what did i really have to offer these people who possibly wanted to come train with us yeah um but then i started recognizing over time with the help of brian and just with the help of yoga that you know i think we do have something viable to offer maybe mm. different or maybe similar but there's actually room for everyone to share and we're very fortunate that we get to keep doing these trainings and since you started the first one in 2013, what would you say you've have been the main takeaways for you in terms of learning? Uh, I mean, in terms of like, as in what you've learned and to, and on how to deliver things maybe more effectively. Oh man, yeah. I mean, I think that that oh, what have I learned? <laughs> I mean, I've learned that um, the information that we share, or at least that I share, is constantly changing. Although it's important to have a method, I think my method is being open to learning more and possibly adapting with the times. Yeah. Um, you know, people come to us to learn from us, but I think what people appreciate from our trainings is that we never say that this is the one way to do things and or we're never saying we're completely correct in these things. But um, the fact that we're always learning and I think progressing in our own practice, people can see that. And um, I mean, I guess it's not a big takeaway, but I've learned that there's basically room for everybody. There's an abundance for everybody if you believe it. And I think we have something to offer just as much as the next person who's leading another 200 hour or 300 hour has to offer. Mm. Um, it's a beautiful practice. And I mean, we're very fortunate to do what we do. So, yeah. Do, yeah. do you mind me asking, um, Dice, because when you say self-work and you don't have to go into too much detail, I don't, I don't mind. Pri yeah. But, um, so to give you, you my impression of you, of you um, from when I first heard of you to, to now, the first thing was um, well, I actually seen you on the documentary why, why we breathe. Why I breathe? Yeah, brilliant. And um, I mentioned this in the podcast about my when I did my review of part one of our teaching I training. I listened to it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, Notice the way I said thanks, even though you didn't say it was good or not. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, no that was great. I, 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 was, <laughs> I was like, yeah, thanks for listening. I, just, I don't need any feedback. No, but, um, um, but, the, yeah, it, but the, the thing that struck me, obviously, is um, what you do physically on, on, um, on Instagram. Mm. Um, and then when I met you, what, what was surprising was you were uh, more... Um, to one, it's more humble, and I, I thought, "Oh, this guy looks like he can do it all." So that my interpretation was like, "I bet he's gonna think he's the bee's knees," as, as they say in the UK. Um, so, do you mind me asking what 
Yeah. What would be your self work? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, humility. I've learned. I, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I think it stems from my mother. Um, my mother always was um, a very big proponent or um, um, a driver in recognizing how to be courteous to people and very thankful for the things that we have. Um, and maybe to a fault, <laughs> but. For me, my self-work has always been uh, a lot of self-esteem issues when I was younger. Um, I've always been physically, um, uh, always very physical. Um, and, and I played many different sports. And, you know, I, most sports that I did, I could excel. I could actually do quite well. Um, but any sport that really had to do with competing with someone else, I would actually have a hard time with winning especially if i noticed the other person was suffering by losing whether it was let's say example being on the tennis team varsity tennis team and beating a kid and noticing that his parent or his coach is wailing on him verbally and saying how terrible he is or what he's doing wrong that would put me in a mind state of purposely throwing the game starting to mess up so that possibly that person didn't have to deal with that kind of um ridicule or 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 um or pain, I don't know. Mm. And, and in a way, I look at that and I'm like, well, that's not a good thing either because then I'm self-sabotaging, which that's been a pretty big thing for myself too. When things are going well, I like wonder why they're going well and almost plan to making them go wrong, which, again, that's what I mean by self-work. Noticing these tendencies, these patterns, has been my work with yoga because I think before I wasn't even aware of these things. I just thought self-deprecation, um, thinking I'm shit, like not the shit, but shit um, was where my mind would go. I don't think I've gotten away from all of that, but I've learned, I've gained tools to notice when those things are happening and really ask myself, why am I feeling this way? You know, sometimes for some reason, if something's going right, I, I question why it's going right instead of enjoying the moment. So that's what I mean by self-work. Okay. Um, yeah, and also I have a big problem with, I don't like big egos in people, um, and that's not a judgment on them, but it's just normally I steer clear of those people. Um, and I think I steer clear of it because I don't ever want to be that. I don't, I don't like the way those people have an outlook on life, and I don't like the way they make other people feel. Yeah. Um, so I think just from a young age without knowing it, I just somehow went into that, that type of personality. And in a way, I don't think it's a bad thing, but I notice there's always you know, the two ends of the spectrum, there's someone who's so overconfident, but that might come from a insecure place. And then there's someone possibly like me who, you know, doesn't have the greatest self-esteem, but that also doesn't come from a good place. That's another place of insecurity. Neither one is worse off than the other. It's just, how do you find the balance between being confident, owning and holding your space without being a prick or trying to pose your way on other people? Mm-hmm. Wow, this got really deep. It's <laughs> uh, good, good though. I appreciate. I really appreciate. No, it. thank you for asking. I think, yeah. um, especially like look at, look at Instagram and like, man, uh, uh, we're so fortunate that we get to put our lives out there the way we want people to see them. I get to put my practice out there. I get to say, hey, practice with me here. Um, wear what I'm wearing, you know. And, and it's, I have trouble with it, but I also recognize the power that I have in hoping. I hope that I try to be as real as possible and put out the happiness that I feel when I feel it and also when I don't feel it. Mm -hmm. And I also see others out there that have a lot of power 
and write beautiful quotes and beautiful things. And at times, though, when I know them personally, they aren't living by what they say. That, to me, is the whole, in a way, slightly of the ego thing. Um, and look, they're allowed to do that because they are helping people. Whether the people know who they truly are or not, they see them from an outside and say, oh, man, they say amazing things. And that, that, that verbiage that you wrote the other day helped me out so well. It really resonated with me. That, that's where the miracle happens. And whether or not that person really lives it, I started to realize sometimes it doesn't matter because it's still inspiring other people to live in a right way. You know, that's like the, the catch-22 in a way. Mm. And then you have people who really are authentically themselves, like DK that we were talking about. Who I, think, <laughs> I think there needs to be more of that, which is the realist, obviously the highly intellectual person that kind of pokes the bear, or pushes the envelope a little bit and brings to light the things that most people don't want to talk about or be honest with, right? But I don't think you can just be that way either. You have to also have mm -hmm. the, the bubbly frou-frou stuff because we're all different, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, um, yeah, the <laughs> self-confidence, self-work, I know I'm jumping all over the place. No, it's so, good, man. It's um, good. People want to hear you, not me. So yeah, like, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I think people like hearing you, man. <laughs> you're, you're, you ask, you know how to hold conversation well. You're just, it's real conversation. I don't think it's so put together. It doesn't need to be. No, but I do. no, no, no. I mean, I, I think, um. Uh, yeah, as I said to you before, this is these are unscripted, and um, uh, yeah, so it's good to let the conversation flow. But back back to the point you made though about someone who is posting all this positive stuff, um, I think it's important to show balance because, ironically, if you're always posting inspirational stuff, always mm. every post is perfect, and I, I think ironically actually um can make people feel worse about themselves sometimes mm. if they if they look at you uh, not you necessarily but if they look at someone as who has who they model themselves on which we all right. have a role model i right. think that we look at someone and go wow they did this that and the other maybe i could do it but if you see that they never have a bad day it makes you feel like oh today i've done nothing i've been on the couch and this person is only doing positive things so i i do i agree with you inspirational stuff is is important but also to have the the other side other side of um to show the other side yeah i think that's the, that's the human condition it's not like like happiness is a it's a it's um it, 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 i guess you can call it a goal but you know to be happy it takes a lot of work it's not just like Ah, bubbles and mm -hmm. it just happens like <laughs> there's a lot of shit or crap that needs to happen and you need to understand how to navigate the shit how to actually sit in the shit how to put certain shit aside um <laughs> and you find it and i think like you said you know you post these inspirational things this person's in buenos aires on top of a mountain and it looks epic and now the next week they're in a volcano in Hawaii or something and you know and these guys are getting paid to travel on such a beautiful life but at the same time these guys deal with depression or their parent mm. is terminally ill or you know those are the things that that's what makes it more human and and mm. yeah I mean I I tend to be more inspired by people who are yeah showing mm. all sides yeah. of, of everything and I hope that that's what I can put out there as well because mm. I mean I know at times it's I can put out just very happy, happy stuff. And it's when I am feeling happy. But if I'm feeling shitty, I normally will say, I don't really feel like posting today, but I somehow posted. This is what it feels like. Mm -hmm. you know. But I don't want to make it so that me posting is what 
shares my emotions. I hope that those that are close to me and in my actual proximity, those are the ones that I share when I'm feeling shitty or happy, you know? Yeah. Instagram's a great way to reach people. It's not a bad thing at all, but it shouldn't be life, <laughs> which, yeah. which I think it's become for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. There needs to be a distinction there. I want to, I'm interested to go back to your early, early childhood, not in like a Dr. Phil way. But <laughs> <laughs> no, no worries. But um, you are half Japanese, is that all right? I am half Japanese. Is your mother Japanese? She is. Interesting. So that's, that's definitely, you know, if you look at Japanese culture, when I look at it, I see I'm an American for sure. Born and raised Los Angeles, California. I moved around a lot, but LA is always home. But I think somewhere inside of me, my soul or my heart, lives in the Japanese mindset of there's loyalty as much honesty as possible try to be especially with yourself and um, a lot of courtesy at least consciousness of your fellow man which I find a lot of Japanese people are it's it's just like it's ingrained maybe again to a fault where it can be too far that you care about other people and how they feel and things like that but I feel like that is something that is slowly being lost in in, in in the human condition or in human nature where we're so keen to get this, do this for ourselves, be seen, be heard, where we forget that other people exist mm -hmm. in a way. And yeah, I know you didn't even get, get to ask the question. I just went off on the whole Japanese no. thing. But my mother, yes, is the Japanese one. And she raised me pretty Japanese, although I was in America. Where were you born? I was born in L.A., Los Angeles. I'm actually, it's funny because if you're from L.A. or NYC, most people normally think, that you're a transplant, but I'm actually born and raised L.A., Santa Monica, Venice. So where's your, when you're not traveling, where's your home? Los Angeles, Venice. Still? Okay. Yeah, still there. Home base is there. Oddly enough, my mother has lived in the United States for 40 years, became a United U.S. citizen. She's moving back to Japan next month, September. No way. After 40 years, she's going back to Japan. Whoa. I was very proud of her for making the choice because, you know, she's. it's been a very fruitful life here. But um, I think she wants to stop working. And in Japan, she actually can, there's like a pension fund, you know, she can live off of what the government will pay her. And she's now, she's almost 70. My mom's been working for a long time. So Is your old man alive? To one of my father is alive. My yeah. dad is 10 years younger than my mom. So it's like quite young. <laughs> uh, he lives in Florida. He is remarried. Um, and, um, he was a tennis instructor later on in life. He was actually Los Angeles police department. He was LAPD for a long time. Yeah. Um, when he retired, he, he's always been in love with athletics and moving, but he was a skier, downhill country skier, and also big tennis player. So now he teaches something called pickleball, which is a <laughs> smaller tennis court. And it's a very funny sport, but he's very athletic and very into movement in that way. And I yeah. think that's where I get a lot of it from. Um, but yeah, he lives in Florida, on the East Coast. So, do you ever see yourself? You said you like you like Japan, Japan, Japan Japanese culture. Yeah. Ever moving there? That was actually my goal before I found yoga. I graduated from UCLA, um, summer of two thousand seven, and I thought I was going to move to Japan to teach English and live there the rest of my life. Whether or not I found like a Japanese wife or not, it didn't even matter. It was just I wanted to move to Japan because I always I've always felt a calling. When I get off the plane there, there's something that just goes. Like I'm home. I love Japan. Um, so, yeah, sure. One day I would love to move there. Um, but, I mean, my current life just has me. My my home base is where my son is, so yeah. Los Angeles. But I travel quite a bit, you know. Um, 
but yeah there's definitely a calling to japan i do love it i still love the culture the food the people yeah. the way of life yeah i think it's interesting what you say there about um that it's almost so deep ingrained i've been japan japan a couple of times so deep ingrained in the culture that they're they're one they really look after each other and out for each other yeah. and they have a, a, a massive sense of uh, unity um, mm. that I think when we were walking into the car we were just talking about that weren't we about oh, how <laughs> you can live in London for example which is where I'm from and never be alone but feel very lonely mm. mm-hmm. um, and in Japan it's not like that I mean you could um, yeah so I know what you mean and there's a lot to be said for that for feeling like you belong yeah yeah and i think in, in a yeah <laughs> i i totally get it you know you could but i think even in japan though it's funny as the the western culture sorry to say as it infiltrates yeah. the east more and more the the solidarity or that that individualism which is important is slowly taking over to the point where people are actually forgetting about one another which is kind of sad to see the younger generations now are turning more into what we see over here i think in the west but mm-hmm. But still in Japan, I still see that, yeah, that idea of taking care of one another, or literally helping the elderly. If someone's crossing the street um, in Japan, that's obviously slow. You will actually see, at least from my eyes, I've seen people help the elderly just because that's, you know, like, I mean, that even, that's however small that is and however weird of an example that could be, it's something that you don't see much anymore. You know? It's a great example. I was talking to someone, someone about this the other day on the podcast as well, that in Japan, in Asia, in, in East Asia, elders are revered mm. uh, correct me if I'm wrong but mm. you know, you've know, you lived longer than I have therefore mm-hmm. I know more than you do so we should listen to you whereas in Ireland, England, the western culture everyone to say it old people are seen as a, and it's a nuisance that's yeah, a, nuisance. A, a, a senile, hot, senile. Or, um, yeah. And, yeah and and that's a big pro- problem with like loneliness amongst older people I got off on a tangent here yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> but, is it, but it but you know we're all going to be old one day and do you want to be old in somewhere where respects where you're respected or somewhere where you're left alone and um there's you see huge posters up in ireland now um massive billboards and it's just a picture of an old person's face and like this is john and he lives alone and you know think about that basically wow yeah it's become a, a campaign um, well i mean that means it's actually something that, that that that's not a problem but it's something to to notice there yeah i mean definitely yeah that's that's actually i'm happy they have campaigns like that. that's good <laughs> More old people on billboards, please. Yeah, yeah bring, bring that to light, please. <laughs> so um, you, you talked about um, the fact that you travel so much, I, and I do your yoga classes a lot. Mm. I, I, what I'm interested in to go, to go into the more business side of things, yeah. um, not revenue, but just in terms of your schedule. Mm. So you have teacher training, you have the yoga glow. What else do you do in terms and then of... And workshops are a primary thing too, which I think are kind of... So the yoga glow online gets people to teacher trainings and gets people to workshops you know mm-hmm. um and then i also think workshops gets people to trainings and also turns people on yoga i think it's all very kind of it, it it circulates um but at home yeah i don't teach regular scheduled classes anymore because i tried doing that for a good year after i started traveling a lot and it was just too much time away so it was unfair to the students because I, I wasn't regular the substitute wasn't always the same person they didn't always teach not necessarily like me but in the same realm mm. so i ended up having to give up all of my regularly scheduled classes at home because it became so irregular when i was home 
Um, you know, Sydney's going into school now, kindergarten. And I mean, the way it works since his mom and I are separated is, you know, she has him for 10 to 14 days. And when I come home, I want to be with him for the same amount of time. But in the time that she has him, normally she has Taylor, um, her daughter, my, my stepdaughter still, you know, always will be, um, has her. So when I come home, we do the, we have to do the shift, mm. shift around. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd say I'm, I'm out of town probably five to six months Luckily, Sydney's with me for about more than three to four of those months because of if it's a big training in China for, let's say, 10 days, he comes for that. He'll skip school for that. If it's the trainings during the summer, he's there for the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So there are times, though, where I miss him, um, especially when I do workshops during the school year. Mm -hmm. But that's mainly what I do. When I'm home, I get to be a full-time dad, which is, I mean, that's a super sweet gig. That, that's what I get to do at home. Mm -hmm. Home is almost like a vacation more than times and i'm out <laughs> oh, yeah um it, a lot of people that listen to this are new um yoga teachers mm. and what i loved about the first module is when you if you don't mind talking about this mm. is um you talked about when you were running around teaching 25 30 class whatever a lot of classes a week mm -hmm. and you started developing um what's it called app app when your hair starts falling out oh uh alopecia 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 areata yeah do you mind talking about that yeah, I mean, I mean, it doesn't just take teaching yoga to do that. <laughs> but, 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 but basically, when you're, you know, you're, our bodies are, are magical things. But hair and actually nails are the two things that your body decides first. If it, if you don't have enough energy, if your adrenals are shot, your thyroids can, your thyroid glands can be off, or I mean, the the levels can be off. Your body will stop producing hair, or it will mm -hmm. stop producing nails. It's, it's pretty amazing. So. Uh, when I started teaching 2008 and by 2011, yeah, I was teaching, it was somewhere around 21 or 22 classes a week on top of, I think it was you know, four privates, five privates a week. I had one day off. Monday was my church day, my day off, but oftentimes that would get covered up with a sub or something or I would help someone out. So I started and I was practicing and this is before Sydney, but still had Taylor and Brian and I were already together. And yeah, I, I just, I guess. I didn't recognize it, but my diet on top of just my adrenals were so out of sorts that my body decided to um, make me lose hair. So it started off being like a little speck and then it turned into like a penny size, a U.S. penny, and then like a U.S. quarter. And the U.S. quarter size started popping up all over my head. So I started losing hair just in patches, you know. Um, I went and got steroid injections first to try and see if Western medicine would work and those injections didn't do anything. And then I finally went to an Eastern doctor, a Chinese holistic doctor who's also an acupuncturist. Um, and she um, basically changed my diet, took me off of certain foods that weren't working for me, specifically refined sugar, because <laughs> I like sugary things. Uh, at the time, it was gluten, which I've reintroduced and I feel good, but I don't have it that often. Um, or gluten, wheat, and then dairy as well. She didn't take me off of meat or anything like that. She was like, as long as you eat high quality protein, you know where it's coming from. It's not really no antibiotics, no injection, nothing, nothing like that. You're good to go. But she cut out those things within one month of her diet, plus taking Chinese herbal pills. I um, my hair started sprouting back really quickly. Wow. So yeah, I mean, your body will tell you that something's wrong. Mm. Obviously, when you're in pain, your body says it sends pain yeah. signals, right? Well, this wasn't an acute pain this was like my body was just saying we're tired you know and so my hair was the indicator um you've, you've touched on a, a, 
potentially um, raw topic there about mm. meat. Because <laughs> also the, the, the vegan army listen to this podcast too. And I'm a former vegan. Yep. This actually, that's an exclusive because... I haven't confessed for the until just this moment. So you just <laughs> confessed. I know, oh, I know. I pulled it out of him, guys. Yeah, so mm. what's your... You don't have to go into much detail because I'm sure you're probably sick of talking about it. But what's your no. reason? I'm happy to. For so I was vegan for a good year and a half. A year and a half? Yeah. That's a decent uh, go. <laughs> right around... was that? It was basically... It was actually after I really started doing yoga. Um, around mid-2008 to 2010, right before I actually met... Uh, Briny, um, and it was honestly a previous <laughs> girlfriend was a major vegan, and mm -hmm. and I started following, you know, her diet and her whole way of life in a way. Um, tried my best to supplement by cooking more, learning how to cook, how to take care of the minerals that I was missing through meat, protein specifically, um, obviously different vitamins which you can get through leafy greens and different um, beans, legumes, all of it. Yes, it can work, but I started to recognize much like yoga alignment and everything, it works for different body types. Um, I will say, oddly enough, I didn't lose weight. I gained more weight. I don't know how that happened. Either the amount of that I was having to eat or cover up was one thing. Two, um, I've never been anemic. I've never had blood issues, but when I noticed my energy levels had dropped, I couldn't practice the way I wanted to practice, which was normally quite vigorous. I was having a lot of trouble, um, yeah, staying awake was the big one. I would sleep like eight or nine hours a day and still wake up pretty tired. Um, so I went to a Western doctor, did blood work, and they basically said, look, you're, you're borderline anemic because you've stopped eating meat. They said, if you can at least add eggs back into your diet, do some form of protein, and if you can, maybe eat red meat once a month, was what they told me. Okay. And I honestly reintroduced fish back into it along with the eggs, and I started feeling so much better <laughs> yeah. now this is not to say everybody should eat meat this is not saying this is not a campaign saying that this is what you should do i'm by no means saying you should do anything i'm just saying i know what works for me i've tried the other side maybe i didn't do it as well as what other people would say but i i really gave it a good go um and for the way i move the way i physically use my body i you know needed it i know there are vegan athletes that are shredded and ripped and whatever so you know who knows we'll find out in the years to come what the results are of people living that way and i think it's it's um neither one is good or bad just gotta see what works for you yeah um i will say that i've known a few pro vegans really big vegans that have been vegan for 15 years and uh they started sneaking in bone broth because they needed uh mm. um they need this, they needed something else <laughs> um, <laughs> just, um, but again this is not pointing the finger at anybody i think remember that ahimsa means nonviolence, not only to all animals to humans but also in your thoughts towards mm -hmm. other people yeah and um <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, that's that's a diplomatic answer i mean like um yeah obviously pe people know that um i think when you make a choice to be a vegan it's such a difficult choice that you become so passionate it's easy be to become fundamental of course it's good to become passionate about it but remember mm. become passionate for your become passionate for your you did it for yourself not mm. because you're trying to make other people you know gandhi said it 
be the change you wish to see in the world, but it also doesn't mean then you hold a grudge against the world for not following you. Yeah. That goes completely against yogic philosophy. That was never the idea. Mm -hmm. So people don't follow you, you get mad. People don't do what you're doing, you get mad. People don't do what you think is right, you judge them. I, I think that defeats the purpose beyond ahimsa. That's, mm -hmm. that's not yogic in its mm -hmm. own way. You know, stand up for what you believe in, be firm about that, but you should still be able to have non-vegan friends if you're a vegan. <laughs> um, so you mentioned about, um, well, I'm, I'm try, I, I try to segue whenever I can about um, the future. And I know mm. we're, we're in a car and we'll, we'll kind of wrap this up, but yeah. um, where do you see, what do you see yourself doing in 10 years? Oh, this is like the job interview oh, question. Oh man, that is a hard one. And it's always been the toughest for me is looking down the road. Like I'm, I tend to live in the past, which can be bad too, but I'm also a present person, like now person. I mean, 10 years down the road, I mean, I, I, I don't see this job as something that I need to stop doing. You know how some people want to say, hey, take the method and make it so that other people can teach your method. That way you can just sit back and not do it. I don't want to be that person. I like connecting with people. I like... The travel part, sure, I can calm that down, but I enjoy sharing yoga, movement, and the things that have really benefited my life. So 10 years down the road, I honestly hope to be doing the same stuff, maybe in lesser frequency, but I still hope to be hands-on doing trainings, hands-on doing the workshops, putting in the work, not because it's work, but because, man, I mean, this is, I'm so fortunate to do what I do, you know, um, I'm, I'm lucky enough to say that I'm in the 1% of yoga teachers that get to do the lifestyle the way I get to live it. And, and I get to literally make money living the way I want to live, you know, which is such a blessing. It's, mm -hmm. I, I don't take it for granted. So I don't want to do a get rich quick scheme where I make someone else teach my method, quote unquote. I don't think we really have a method. Um, I, I want to keep doing what I'm doing now. Um, maybe the one change would be a little less on the travel for sure a little more time at home yeah. but otherwise no still sharing yoga still being a student of yoga more than anything still moving still practicing yeah i mean i know it's a very bland answer but that's that's, that's kind of where i see it i don't i don't really need to change much i mean there's subtle shifts that need to happen but yeah not, yeah that's a great answer well, Dice, thanks so much, man. Oh, thanks for having me, man. Um, <laughs> it's, been, it's been amazing being here. <laughs> thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed learning more about Dice. Uh, next week, I have with me the other half of Bryce, Bryony Smythe. Bryony talks more about entrepreneurship and how to diversify as a yoga teacher and generate income from many different areas. So tune in next week for that. As always, if you enjoy it, I'd really appreciate a rating on iTunes or Stitcher. And hope you have a great week. Bye.